explain it uh, and, and, and draw people's attention to it, and, uh, and it doesn't get easier. You would think it might, but it doesn't. And, and the reality is I'm struck because, because I'm called to come here and preach Christ crucified and do that in a way that makes sense to this world and connects with your individual lives, with our individual lives. And, and what I came to this week was this image, which many of you would have seen, but this is from the, uh, uh, the, this is from the, the Notre Dame Cathedral in, in France, Paris. Uh, it, this photo became famous over the last little while uh, as the, the, the cross on the altar on this church remained standing even as the roof caved in. And for some people, uh, this is a very inspirational picture, that the beauty of the cross is, is standing even in the midst of destruction, and that is a, a beautiful metaphor, but I'm still conflicted as I look at it. Because I know that the reason why that cross remained standing while the, the, the roof of the, the, the church, as the church burned around it, is because the melting point of gold is 1,064 degrees, while your average wood fire burns at roughly 600 degrees. And that isn't the major conflict, it's the fact that how many people went hungry while they built a giant cross out of gold? And that conflict became even more pronounced as, as people started to donate money for the restoration of this church building, and today almost a billion dollars has been raised. And I, and, and I don't want to discount that. People had an emotional experience at a place where they could, where they, they felt small and seen in all of the best ways. And I understand that people want to donate money to this beautiful place where they had a beautiful experience. However, that's still a conflict in me that, like, couldn't we find something better to do in places where, where, where there are many people who do not have access to clean drinking water? In many places where people do not have access to health care and equal education, there's a conflict. And to do this in the name of, of this cross, this is emblematic of a lot of conflict that's rising with me. As, I'm, as we are part of this church tradition uh, that, that seems to be lost in a lot of ways, that, that seems to not understand and, and, and to, 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 to put this cross on things that it has no business being a part of. And, and when I've heard church folk in the very, and, and this isn't just in the recent history in our province, but this is over the last multiple decades, people who claim to be church folk who are way more concerned about economic policy and their waning influence in the world than they are about connecting people with the healing power that is in Jesus, I'm conflicted about this thing. Because the reality is I come to this cross and I say, okay, so what difference is this making for all of us to gather here and look at it and sing the songs that we've sung before. What does this matter? In a world where lots of church people's faith seems to be more about grievance over a lost place in a world than mission for the world. But I have a job and a calling, and the reality is I still believe that this matters, and I still believe that it's important to preach Christ, and it's important to preach Christ crucified, and this is not optional, and Paul makes it quite clear as he talks about his own ministry in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he introduces himself, he's, he's inserting himself into the problems that they are experiencing as a church, and he lays out quite clearly in this verse that we preach Christ 
crucified, which does not sound scandalous in our ears, but it was incredibly scandalous at the time. Because this sentence that Paul has said includes two ridiculously scandalous statements. One, that Jesus is the Christ. This idea that existed in the ancient world, and this is through the Hebrew Bible and, it, and, and, and continues into the, the New Testament, that God was intending to intervene with the world. That God was intending to make right the direction of the world. He was going to do this through a, a Messiah or a Christ. Both words translate into anointed or sent one. And that God himself is going to insert himself into the story in order to repair the world and to rescue the world and to ensure justice and peace and blessing for all peoples and all nations and all ethnic groups. That, that was a scandalous statement that, I, that existed at the time, but even more scandalous was for Paul to say, and this person that we've all been waiting for is Jesus. He's already come. The climax of human history has happened now, and y'all missed it. But Jesus is the Christ. That is where we stand. That is a scandalous statement. It was then and it is now. And the second scandalous statement was that Christ was crucified. It would have been easy in the Roman world for them to believe that God had inserted himself into the story. In their pantheon, God's inserted themselves into the stories all the time. What was more shocking was that God inserted himself into the story and got murdered. And not just died a heroic death as one might and battle, but rather died the death of a terrorist at the hand of, a, of an oppressive government and a religious elite who valued order over everything else. That idea was shocking that the Messiah had come and then that the Messiah had been, had been executed was, was more than people could grasp or believe. But yet this is what they taught. Paul says this very specifically and, and speaks into the scandal that, that Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. This idea that the Messiah had come and yet hadn't taken over everything all at once. What kind of Messiah does that? What kind of Messiah leaves a job half finished? And then Greeks looking for like, and the, the, so this Messiah gets crucified? That sounds like the way that the, the, the villains end their story. That sounds like the way that losers end their story. It's no less a stumbling block today. Because we live in a world where the idea that God might intervene in our world and supersede our own desires and wants for our own lives, that's a scandalous idea. We would much rather live in a world where God would have just set the whole thing spinning was off watching and cheering us on no matter what we did, like the, like the family standing on the side of a U4 soccer game. Yeah, go pick that. Sometimes kick the ball, sometimes pick the flower, whatever you feel like doing. But the idea that God would have more interest in us than that is scandalous to us. The idea that God might have chosen a time in history other than ours to intervene in human history, the idea that the time in which we lived was not the, the, the climax of human history, is scandalous 
to our ears, the idea that God might die at the hands of a government concerned with order over everything and a religious elite concerned more with status than anything else is still scandalous to this day. And yet the cross matters. And it's difficult to, to, to preach Christ crucified because it's uncomfortable for people. People don't like the idea of any part of this. They don't, we, they don't like the idea that Christ gained victory over everything. They don't like the idea that Christ was our substitutionary atonement, that he, that he took our, our place on the cross. They, they don't like the idea that it doesn't fit into common categories of logic and reason. People don't like that somehow it is beyond wit and eloquence and wisdom, which is what Paul said earlier, that... that Paul is in, says he didn't preach with wisdom and eloquence lest the cross be emptied of its power. This idea in our own minds, we don't like anything that is beyond our explanation. So it is still scandalous today. And yet for us, as it says, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks and us, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So even as we're trying to make sense of a world where people will donate billions of dollars towards a building before they will invest billions of dollars in clean water, in a world where, where churches seem to care more about economic game planning rather than they, than, than they care about the lives of human beings, we are still struck with this idea that the cross matters and that Christ crucified matters and that we ought to reckon with this, reckon with the image and reckon with the event and deal with this in our lives, that we preach Christ crucified. And not only that it matters, but it's the only thing that matters. I, like a lot of people, would like to revert sometimes to thinking that, oh, well, it's all about Jesus' teaching. It's let's mostly focus on Jesus' teaching, except that the Gospels spend almost as much time on the week leading up to his death and resurrection that, as they do on his teaching. The Gospel writers felt that this mattered more than anything else. And if we were to lose this, then all of the teaching is irrelevant. We need to reckon with the cross and reckon with Christ crucified. So that's what we're going to do, more so than me explaining this or trying to put words to something or trying to use wisdom and eloquence to explain something that is even beyond my explanation. I will just read these words from Mark chapter 15. That when they had mocked him and they had stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down, down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone uh, ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw in this way, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and the younger of, and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came with, up with him to Jerusalem. So we stop here and reckon with this, but this is not the image with which I want to close today because it is not the image with which Jesus closed. Because even in the midst of all of this suffering, even in the midst of all of this death, even in the midst of all of this destruction, even in the midst of having this cross with which we needed to reckon with the cruelty of humanity in the midst of the loving gift of God, we understand that Jesus did this for joy. And he, the writer of Hebrews, explains it in this way. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, laughing at its shame, mocking at its shame, this thing that would make people not understand what was going on. Jesus pushes through all that for the joy that was set before him, which was you and I, and our rescue and our reconciliation and our restoration in him and in what he has done. So it is that that I would like us to remember as we come to this table. Because we come to this table remembering Jesus' death, remembering him sacrificially going to the cross in our place, remembering him inaugurating a new covenant in what he has done. So I would like us to just spend these moments in whatever way that comes to your mind prayerfully as we come to this table, reckon with the cross, reckon with Christ crucified. Let that live in your heart and your mind and understand that the purpose of that was God's joyful reconciliation with you and with all that you love. Let's 